everyone. So great to see you. It's always fun to see you being so friendly with one another. That's great. Yeah, yeah, stop being friendly. This is church. <laughs> no, I think the opposite is true. Uh, we're in the, in, uh, we're actually wrapping up a series that uh, began during the time when we were all, uh, for those of us who call ENVR Church home, we were all fasting and praying for a week, joining with our Every Nation churches around the world um, in a series called Abide. And so we've been looking at what it means to live in Jesus and his word. And today we're going to be looking at the word that keeps us from evil. Now, I just want to give a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a disclaimer or something. I feel responsible if I'm standing in this, uh, in this pulpit. I feel responsible to be faithful to God's word and to, uh, to the best of my ability as I pray and read and study to be able to communicate what I believe God's word is teaching to us and then to take that word and to apply it to daily life. And so this is going to be one of those sermons where uh, if I do my job correctly, I think you'll all be insulted by the end of it. But um, I, I, here's what I hope for. I hope that our discussion will not be about our opinions, but all of us trying to wrestle with what, God's word and how it applies to how we live. And so if you hear something that I'm saying that you don't agree with, um, I am delighted to go for coffee or breakfast, especially if you're buying and uh, we can talk that through. This is an ongoing discussion. So I don't claim to have the corner on what God is saying, but I am trying to be faithful to his word. And if you see things differently, the Bible says in Philippians, let, let us uh, at least live up to what we've already agreed on and we can work things through together. So there's your invitation. And there'll be a long lineup, I'm sure, over here by the end of the service. I don't, I, I don't think so. We're looking at John chapter 17, verses 14 to 21. It's talking all about the world and how to engage with the world. And so the world, when you look at the Bible, is not just a physical, it's not the earth. It kind of has moral overtones. And that the world is the place that is ruled by the kingdom of darkness. And we're somehow to engage in this world. And this passage talks about how we need to do that. In verse 14, it says, I've given it. This is Jesus praying on our behalf. This is what he says. Uh, he's speaking to his father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And so again, it's that spiritual overtone that God's saying, Jesus is saying, I have a different kingdom that's not of this world. And uh, this world and the, the kingdoms in this world actually are going to hate us. My prayer, and this is the unfortunate part, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. So somehow keep them holy and righteous in the midst of this world. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So we're being sent into this dark and evil place. Uh, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. Well, that's a shocking thought. Right now, if you describe yourself as a Christian, 
we're to have the level of unity that is the level of unity that is between the Son and the Father in the Trinity. Well, there's something to think about for a while. That's quite remarkable. Maybe a little unnerving. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Since uh, Tara didn't pray for me, uh, I like to pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that your word brings life. I thank you that your word is good news. I thank you that your word is a mirror for us to reflect our life off of. And so I ask for each one of my friends, I ask for myself, that you would give us the humility to hear your word and to reflect our lives off of it. We lay down our personal opinions, our personal agendas, and uh, we submit ourselves to the authority of your word that we could be more and more like you and see your kingdom come into this world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So when does the world hate us? Uh, the world hates us when God's word contradicts their values. So I don't know if you've noticed, I don't think anybody likes to be corrected. I don't like it. And so what we find is that in the world, uh, when this Bible corrects or contradicts the way that someone lives, it's going to be offensive. And so the world can, ex sorry, the, the church can be expected to be hated. Think about you here right now. You have, uh, again, if you describe yourself as a Christian, you've decided to make this the authority in your life. And if you do, you can be pretty much guaranteed that you won't be liked all the time. And the word hate is a very strong word, and it's what we can expect as Christians. Rice Brooks is one of the uh, founders of Every Nation Churches and Ministries. He's uh, a remarkable evangelist, actually a great theologian. And he goes around the world uh, doing what's called apologetics, helping people believe in God's truth and make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And here's what he says, I really like this. The main contradiction in the Bible is that it contradicts our lifestyle. <laughs> I like that. You know, you have people going, oh, you know, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. I'm not sure that that's true. I've been studying it for uh, about 40, 50 years now. And, um, uh, but the main contradiction is that it contradicts the way that we might want to live. And so this causes tension, not just in us, but uh, as we relate to the world. So in many ways, uh, follow me on this, you and I should be worried if the world does not hate us. We should be worried about that. Because it probably means that the way that we're living is not according to this word, but according to the word that is found in society. And if society is giving us a thumbs up at every point, then uh, uh, we should be concerned that we're not entirely living up to this word but we're living in a way that looks more like the world than that looks like God's truth. So we can expect to experience tension in our lives as we try to engage with the world that's around us. Now here's the problem. Maybe that's a problem already, but I think there's a deeper problem that I'd like us to explore today and then how this, uh, these verses address it. Problems arise 
when we react to the world that hates us in fear instead of faith. This causes all kinds of problems. So uh, uh, imagine if you can a time when you've been, uh, when you've had some tension with somebody and it's gotten, it's gotten heated. If you're an Enneagram 9, you may not have any idea what I'm talking about because you're just always living in peace and joy and everything. Uh, but uh, for the rest of us, imagine a time when somebody is disagreeing with you. I don't agree with you. I think you're wrong. What happens inside of us? Well, psychologists say that we move into our reptilian brain and something rises up inside of us and we react to the confrontation that's coming our way. And so we know that there's at least three ways that, um, uh, that when we're in that heightened state of, a, of adrenaline and feeling like there's a confrontation that's super awkward, there's three things that we know are a way to respond. Uh, psychology calls it uh, fight, flight, and freeze. I'm going to call it fight, flight, uh, I'm going to call it fight, flee, and follow. Let's look at each one of these in turn and see what scripture has to say about each one of these. Now again, the reason why I'm saying no one is exempt is because all of us here have feelings. And when we're disagreed with, we react. And so we're going to react in some kind of way. And I'm praying that you and I would have the humility to be self-aware and to go, which of these do I participate in? And to see how God could set us free from living a reactive lifestyle into living a lifestyle of faith and love. So the first is fight. Um, I think this has to do with our personality as much as anything else. But there are, are some of us here, I, I feel like I can identify with all of these, but uh, that if there's a confrontation, I'm going to resist back. And if I'm a Christian, I'm going I'm to I'm use words like, I'm going to defend the truth. It's unwise to let people, um, uh, you know, this is the language, spew out lies without somehow me defending what God's word says. And so I'm going to feel a, an, an even a moral responsibility to say no to those lies and to stand for the truth. And if we're afraid to do that, maybe we have some problems because we are going to be hated. And so there's this idea, and I think we have all participated in it, that uh, when we're disagreed with, and especially if it has to do with Christianity, we feel the need to fight and defend the truth. Well, that's kind of a biblical thought, isn't it? I like it. So uh, I'm reading this week. John 18, verse 36. Listen to what it says. My kingdom is not of this world. This is Jesus who is, um, he's, he's, his uh, crucifixion is imminent. He's about to be crucified. And this is what he says. He says, my kingdom is not, is, is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. He goes on to say they'd fight on my behalf. And he, he talks about um, that he's going to be facing the cross in a minute. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. Here's the tension that's in Christianity. 
So what we have is we have a world that's full of political systems. Right now we're in Canada, and uh, you and I might have some strong opinions about how the Canadian government is acting in this time. Some of you may be like all in, this is excellent. They're doing a very, very good job. Others of you may say, uh, you know, this is horrible and we're moving toward a dictatorship. Like there can be that broad of an experience of the Canadian government, this world. And this passage says, my kingdom is not of this world. There is a concern that I have that we have, uh, what I see happening in Western society is uh, politics and religion are coming together in a way that I find to be deeply concerning. Because the kingdom, the king that you and I worship is not of this world. He has a different kingdom. He says, look, if I'm just going to set up one kingdom along all the other kingdoms of the world, then you should fight for me. But I'm, I'm, my kingdom is in a totally different realm. And you identify first as a Christian, not as a Canadian. And I'm going to go on to say that Canada is not actually your primary problem. There's another thing going on that we'll talk about in a minute. So I did some, uh, you know, so this is a, this is a heated time and, and uh, people's emotions are getting very, very intense. And so I've tried to comb through scripture and look at places where it is endorsing fighting against a nation. I can't find it. I can't find it. Again, invite me out for coffee. Uh, seriously, I would, I, I, I'm, I'm totally in. I'm just trying to work it through myself. Just before uh, Jesus came to earth, uh, there was a, a group of Jews who had managed to secure Judah being its own nation. This hadn't happened for hundreds of years, and it was a little bit rocky, but they were kind of in charge, and their names were the Maccabees. And uh, the Jews at that time, um, well, it was a bit of a mixed bag of how they responded to them, but they saw themselves as the defenders of Israel, the nation of Israel, and they were going to establish God's kingdom rule on earth with force. That's, that's who they were. And they were quite successful for a little over 100 years. And their rule officially came to an end in about 37 BC. So that's only 37 years before Jesus was born. So this is fresh in the minds of the people that Jesus was speaking to. That um, there was a group of people that said that the kingdom of God should be able to come in force on the world. Um, we know other religions, don't we, that still believe that. Inside of Jesus' own disciples, there was one who was Simon the Zealot, if you know his name. Well, a zealot didn't exactly get along with the Maccabees, but had a similar kind of idea that, um, that you could use force to extend what they understood to be God's kingdom. 
Now, I'd like, you, I'd like to read Matthew 5, verse 9, and it's simply this, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, that word peacemakers is a loaded word. We just read it as a, as a word. But it was a, in a sense, um, uh, uh, a word that was full of emotion because there was a group of people during the time of Jesus that were described as the peacemakers. And what it what these people were, they were the opposites of the Zealots and the Maccabees. And they uh, submitted to Roman rule. And uh, the faithful Jews looked at these peacemakers and they said, you're a compromiser. We're standing for the righteousness of God on earth and you are, are coming under Roman rule and there's no fight in you. What's wrong? You know what their view was? This was their view. Their view is the reason why they were under Roman occupation was it was God's judgment towards them and that God was punishing them for their sin, Israel's sin. And so they says, we're not going to fight against the Romans because God's using the Romans to correct us and purify our hearts and bring repentance into our life. We're not going to fight against that. We're going to surrender. And if you look time and again through, through Scripture, I've just finished reading through Jeremiah and Ezekiel in my personal devotions. And the cry of Jeremiah and of Ezekiel is this. You're going to go into slavery, surrender to your enemies. And if you manage to surrender, I'm going to bless you. And if you don't, my judgment will come even harder. This is the message. And if you do surrender to these evil world powers that are sealing away your rights and freedoms, if you surrender, I'm actually going to bring blessing in the land of slavery. I'm going to bless you if you surrender and receive this as my righteous judgment upon you and that you would let it refine you. These are shocking, shocking ideas. And you can imagine how the people in that time, and it's recorded, how they, they hated Jeremiah and Ezekiel for this. They hated him. And they did very nasty things to those prophets because of this message that was preached. So that's fight. Fight, I'm going to resist then we have flee. This is the opposite. I'm going to, uh, out of fear, I'm just going to disengage with the world. Uh, so I'm going I'm to put all my kids into Christian school or homeschool, and I was a Christian high school teacher, so just to caveat that. But I'm going to, and homeschooling is great. I'm not make, I'm talking about the fear that could motivate us to do it, not whether we do it or not. So hear that very clearly. But I'm going to put my kids in homeschool or I'm going to do a Christian school. They can only have Christian friends. I'm only going to have Christian friends. I'm going to try to work in a place where the boss is Christian. I am not going to listen to any secular news because we know how polluted that is. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to flee from the world. Don't you feel like you want to do that? I just want to go to my happy place and just be friends with all of you. Be wonderful. 
Um, we would, we would, the, the picture here is that we're an ark, Noah's ark, and we're just going to float through the world with very big waterproof walls around us, making sure that the world does not infect us with its beliefs or agendas because we know it's evil and we know who's behind that evil. This is fleeing. Well, verse 15 speaks directly to this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Does your fear make you want to run away and isolate? It does for me. It's intimidating. I don't want people hating me. And I certainly don't want to be around them when they do. I just want to pull away. We don't find anything in Scripture, just like we don't find fight, we don't find flee. We don't find it in Scripture. We find Scripture over and over again compelling the church to live in the world. To be in the world and not of it is the biblical mandate. We just don't find it there. So if you think that you can protect you or your children to such a degree that they will not be affected by the world, it's a naive thought. And it's not, I can't see it, supported in Scripture. And please, you know, my school, you know, take them to my Christian school where I was a teacher, homeschool, that's all great. I have no problem with that, none. No problem with that at all. Unless it's done out of fear. Now we have a problem. The thing isn't the problem. It's why we would do it is the problem. Thinking that we can isolate ourselves from the world, that is a problem. One of the things that we believe, and you can decide whether we made a good decision or not, with our kids, and our kids, a number of our kids were in Christian school, um, is that our thought was, let's expose them in wise measure to the world around them so that while we still have influence in their life, we can teach them how to be in the world and not of it. So that when they graduate from high school, we don't want them to have a culture shock and go into the world and go, woohoo, I'm finally free. These are the complexities. And then, perhaps the most sinister of all is to follow the world. This is about compromise and comfort. And, and, and this, is, this is just so, I think, especially for a Canadian, I think especially uh, for the cultures represented here, where you really value a community and being agreeable. Let's just do what the government says. Why cause trouble? They tell us to get a vaccine? Get the vaccine. What's the... They're just looking out for us. Again, I, I'm not interested in whether we get the vaccine or not. I'm interested in whether we do it out of fear or not. That's what I'm interested in tonight. Can you please hear that? I'm not making political statements. I'm trying to make theological statements. Doesn't matter where your kids go to school. Doesn't, like, it, but it matters why we do things. And if we do it out of fear, that's a concern. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Expect that 
there are going to be things that, that is being told us to do that we cannot go along with. One of the things that is very, very uh, uh, relevant and is going to become a bigger and bigger deal in Canada is this, is, it's called Bill C-4. And it's against something called conversion therapy. And right now, it's a criminal act to ask someone of um, um, uh, someone who's gay to change their orientation, their sexual orientation. That's a crime right now in Canada. And uh, Tim has done some great research in, in us trying to understand what is a, an appropriate response. But um, there's some things that we can't go along with because we believe as Christians that this is the definition of love. Our feelings aren't the definition of love. This is the definition of love. I do not believe that we simply stand on the truth as some abstract idea. No, it's the most loving thing that has ever been written, the word of God. And we believe that this is the most loving thing that we can ever tell someone. We're going to have to be very wise and careful, but not afraid. And friends, this is going to face us, isn't it? This is, a, this is not a... This is not about whether to get an injection or not. This is, uh, this is clearer. And so if we think that we can just follow the path of compromise and comfort and just follow whatever the government tells us to do, it will lead you away from a faith in Jesus Christ. It will do that. And you need to be aware of that, please. The issue then is whether we are responding out of fear or out of faith and love. Let me put it another way. The issue is whether we are part of the kingdom of God or the kingdoms of this world. And if we're part of the kingdom of God, then Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Caesar in the Roman times of Jesus' time. Jesus is Caesar. Caesar is Jesus is Caesar. And when you have a competing authority, it's going to run into conflict with other people who are vying for authority and power. And this is what the church is facing. I personally think it's incredibly good news because it clarifies in our hearts who our Lord is. I think this is a good news time for the church. I'm not interested, nor do I even want to have an opinion on whether to be vaccinated or whether or not, and I, I'm not, that's not what this sermon is about. But what is going on in this time is we're having to ask deeper questions of lordship. And those are great conversations. And if we can stay humble and submissive to his word, regardless of what our final decisions will be on these matters, we'll be closer to Jesus in the coming of his kingdom. So here's the question then. How does Jesus help us live fearlessly in evil surroundings? Okay, big, big, please. Oh, wow. How does Jesus help us be fearless in the world? Fearless in the world. Fear would make us fight, would make us flee, and would make us follow. I don't even know what's left. I mean, that's how I feel. 
But there's a way forward that isn't about those things that I think this passage is leading us into, and it's all about what Jesus does for us. And the first thing that he does is he prays for us. Jesus prays for us, intercedes. Why is this important? Because Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. The primary problem in your life and mine is not any government, any flesh and blood. It is not a person. It's a spiritual power is our primary enemy. Now, I don't know about you, super hard to believe. I am pretty sure that most of the problems in my life have some skin attached to them. Doesn't it feel that way? I mean, no, I'm pretty sure you're the problem. Pretty sure. And Ephesians 6.12 comes along and says, you're missing the point. There's a whole other realm that Christians concern themselves with that does not make people the problem. Let's drive this point home. The problem is never our spouse. Write that down if you're married. The problem is never our spouse. Could have sworn it was our spouse. Could have sworn the reason why I'm upset inside and I want to fight, flee, or follow, capitulate. Because of you. No. Spouse, not the problem. Boss, not the problem. Could have sworn that bosses are the problem. Come on now. If you are a boss, you know, tune out for a sec. But the rest of us, like, we know they're the problem. If they would just, and we have lots of opinions of what bosses should do, don't we? Because they're the problem. Nope. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Spouses and bosses. It's not against the government. The Canadian government is not our problem. The Canadian government has never been. Rome was never the problem. Rome was never the problem. Jesus never saw, never saw Rome as the problem. <coughs> Arguments are made uh, from uh, church historians that actually God used all that Rome does, as evil as it was, for the advancement of the gospel. The Canadian government is not the main problem. Can I say that more clearly? It's just not. I'd like it to be, because then I would know what to do with that. Because we live in a democratic society, I can imagine some things I'd like to do to the, Canadian, or to the Canadian government. Nope, they're not the problem. Anti-vaxxers are not the problem. They've never been the problem. By the way, I think the term anti-vaxxers is not nice. I don't think it's respectful. And I don't think if you talk to somebody who is resisting, I think it's way more uh, profound than simply whether somebody wants to get an injection or not. And the people that I've talked to who don't have an, inject an uh, injection, I'm impressed with the faith and thoughtfulness. I really am. Maybe you won't like me for that, but I am. Doesn't mean I have to agree with everything, but I'm watching people trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, and I respect that. And there's lots of other stuff that goes on on all sides of the problem. But for sure, that's not the problem. 
the convoys are not our primary problem. They're, for sure, they're not the concern of the church. They might be your concern as a Canadian citizen. You can decide what to do with that. But in terms of the church, it's just really not the problem. It's not what we focus on. We're not pro-Canada or pro-vaccinate or, or against that. We are Christians who are submitting ourselves to a higher authority and that is our primary concern because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'm, I... So when our problem shifts from people being the problem to spiritual powers being the problem, it is super good news that the king of heaven is praying for us. Now, here's what this means. I struggled with this idea of Jesus praying for us. Here's how, I, here's how I hear that in my head, all right? The father's a little choked, doesn't like us much. And so Jesus comes along and says, they're really good guys. I mean, they're misunderstood and I died for their sins. And so, you know, cut them some slack. That's kind of how I, it's kind of how I read it. He's praying for us. He's, cause, cause the father isn't convinced. You know, that's how I read it. <clears throat> I wouldn't pray for them. The father says, but you can pray for them. I don't think that's what's going on. The word uh, intercessor means to be an advocate. Means to stand on behalf of someone. And so here's what I understand is going on. Is Jesus is speaking with an alliance with his father and declaring words over us as his people. This is, Father, this is the, prayer is words, right? So this is what I declare over my people. I declare that my people are not in bondage, that they're set free. I declare victory over evil because of what I've done for them. I declare this over my people. It's a declaration of the truth over the people of God. Isn't that powerful? That he's advocating, he's saying, uh, 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 I am over all spiritual powers and I declare you free. I pronounce you free. And my father, we agree freedom over you. We are free that you are not in bondage over spiritual powers because I defeated those on the cross. I defeated spiritual powers. And I am now declaring that. I am advocating for you, your freedom. So I declare to my sons and daughters, freedom over darkness. That governments can't take away from you, that spouses and bosses and, and, and uh, academic society can't. I am declaring your freedom right now. This is Jesus speaking over his people. Isn't that encouraging? The king is advocating on our behalf. Man, can you... Like the king is pronouncing truth over us. This is powerful. <clears throat> oh, I wish we could grab hold of this. And then in point two, it says, uh, he gives us his word. So that's the first thing is that he's just praying. The whole John 
Uh, it's just, it, it's a prayer. So he's praying. And then, uh, specifically, he gives us his word to sanctify us or to keep us holy. So he gives us his word. So I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I just want to apply it to what we see here. This is uh, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, listen to this. This is a shocking statement. Um, distance doesn't make us holy. Distance from the world does not make us holy. His word makes us holy. Now, I could have sworn that distance would make us holy. Hey? I have uh, friends over the years who God has called um, really into the darkest places of society. Could describe the Lower East Side as being those people going to other countries. Talk about the darkness. It's overwhelming. And here's what I consistently discover in people who have uh, voluntarily brought themselves into the midst of a dark and evil world. The light of the gospel shines remarkably brightly in their lives. Because when you're in the middle of darkness, you understand something of the light that people who live in the gray world don't really understand much. But when you see spiritual forces at work, you cannot live in some neutral existence. You learn how to need God's word. Distance doesn't make us holy. His word makes us holy. Why? Because truth empties lies of spiritual power. Truth empties a lie of its power. Let me give you some examples. What's a, what's, a, what's a common lie that you and I would believe? Fear evil. Be afraid of evil. Distance yourself from it. Fight against it. Compromise with it. Fear evil. Psalm 23, 4. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The truth robs the lie of its power in our hearts. Powerful. I'll give you one more. I can't. I'm too afraid. I'm too weak. I'm going through so much in my life, I just want to compromise. Don't ask me to do anything more than that. I just, wanna, I, just, I just want COVID to be over. I just want things to get back to normal. Please? Is that too much to ask? Do you know all that I'm going through? I can't. I can't stand for Christ right now. It's too, it's too challenging. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The church was built for this moment. The church was built for this moment to be able to declare to a world that is becoming more and more divided, that there's a way to be unified and it's under the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ and he is our only unifying force. Nothing else. Politics isn't unifying people anymore. Governments aren't unifying. A common, a common philosophies. Everybody has their own philosophies. There's only one hope for unity. There's only one hope for peace in this world. And his name is Jesus Christ. And only as we submit to his truth and his authority do we have any hope of being set free from spiritual powers. Because right now, they are trying to ravage you and I. And the evidence of it is they're trying to divide us from each other and separate us from the very world 
we've been intended to reach for his namesake. So when we know his word, we can say amen to his prayers. So he's already, he's already praying on our behalf. And then we go, oh, that's what you're praying. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. I agree. I align my heart with your prayers. And finally, he sanctifies or devotes himself to us. Look at verse 19. This is a strange verse, but it says, For them I sanctify myself. So we look at that and go, does that mean that Jesus sinned? No, it just means he's setting himself apart. It doesn't mean that you have to be a sinner to be sanctified. You're, he, I, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be fully sanctified. Here's what I'm going to do. Listen to this. The king of heaven says, I'm devoting myself to my people so that they can be devoted to the things of love and truth and righteousness. I'm devoting myself to them. So now you have this amazing triad. You have, you have God pronouncing truth over us. Then he gives us his word so that we know what the truth is, so that we can agree with it. And then the best thing of all is he takes us by the hand and walks with us through this evil world, devoting himself to us personally in the midst of evil. This is remarkable. This isn't some disembodied God wishing us the best. This is a God who has come to earth and is still on earth through his spirit, walking with his people in the midst of evil. There is no greater gift. My friends, we are not alone. And no matter how dark this world gets, we have an advocate, we have his truth, and we have his presence that will never leave us. And so we do not need to be afraid in this hour. We don't. We want to, but we don't have to be. You know, you think of, uh, I think of corny movies and uh, action movies that are corny. And there always seems to be a place where there's a damsel in distress. And I'm sorry that that's so sexist. I'm just describing a movie. But there's a damsel in distress, and then she, like, is screaming and falls off of something. And then the hero of the story, you know, grabs her hand, you know, and is going to rescue her. And what, is the, what does the guy say? Just look at me. <laughs> you know, don't look around because it's super scary, but I got this, right? I mean, the whole thing is, anyways, lots of problems. But, uh, but, that's, the, uh, but that's the scenario, right? Just look at me. This is exactly what Jesus says to his church. We're flailing. And he says, just look at me. Don't look to the left or to the right. Don't be impressed with evil. If you look at the evil, then you'll react against the evil. And as soon as you react against the evil, evil wins. You'll become as controlling or passive or fearful as they are. You'll just do it in Jesus' name. But you actually can't overcome evil with evil. You've got to look at me. You've got to stay focused on me. I've devoted myself to you. I'm here with you to keep you pure and in my love. In conclusion, evil does not need to define the people of God. 
Romans 12, 21. This is a big deal for us of what we need to do. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now listen to this. This is very, very important. How do you overcome evil? Well, we've looked at what Jesus has done. He's advocating for us. He's giving us his word and he's walking with us. And what does he ask us to do? Don't fight against evil. Do good. It's the best way to overcome evil. Do good. Everybody else is freaking out and blaming and picking sides. Do good. Do you care about, about personal health? Then do something about that. You care about somebody who is on the outside and overlooked? You care about the least, the last, and the lost? Don't pick it. Do something about it. Do it. Do it. Do good. It's the only way to overcome evil. You see, God has called the church to a higher standard. We don't just disagree with things. We actively do the right thing in Jesus' name. It's what the church does. We hear stories at the, in, at the, in the early church of... Uh, uh, it was called exposure. It wasn't called abortion. It was called exposure. If you, want, if you had a child that was unwanted, you gave birth to that child, and you, expo you, left, you left it on the side of the road uh, to be exposed to the elements. Oh, it's just... And what would the Christians do? What do the Christians do? Do they appeal to the Roman government and say, we've got we to make a law that outlaws that? No. What do the Christians do? They went and collected those children and made a home for them. We overcome evil with good. We don't just expect someone else to be the answer. I mean, we can reform laws. I'm not saying that. But we're not expecting someone else to do something about it. We do something about it. That's what the church does. We do something about it. Because God has equipped us. We can't defeat evil theoretically can only be overcome with good. And what's the evidence of victory over evil? This is what I, I'm sorry, it's so long, but I'm almost done. What are, uh, what's the evidence of victory over evil? This passage shows two things. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you were in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. There's two things. If you want to know whether your heart is motivated by fear or whether it's motivated by faith and love, we get two criteria in this scripture. You uh, were more unified and were sent uh, into the world that they would believe in God's truth. Evidence that we are living by faith and love is the world will come to believe and will be unified as a church. Super practical. So I monitor my heart according to these criteria. I go, okay, am I, start, am I starting to, to pick and choose in the church as to which side I'm on? Am I starting to do that? Well, that's not unity. There must be some fear in me. Ah, oh, Father, deliver me from fear that I can be a man of faith and love. Deliver me. And unity comes, and that's an that's that's indicator. And then the world around, while hating us, will come to believe in the sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over all powers and authorities. And as we start to see the, the, the world submit to the lordship of Christ, as we submit to the lordship of Christ, we're seeing his kingdom come, and we know that we've been delivered from our fears. 
So I would venture to say that the church is still a little afraid because we're not seeing much of the world come. But I believe in these coming days, we're going to see the world respond as the church rejects fear and surrenders to faith and love. Not making a point, not in, in any pride or self-righteousness, but in coming alongside and serving and caring for the very people who hate us. This is the mark of the church. This is what the kingdom is built on. Worship team, can you please come forward? I'd like to pray for us. Could we please stand together? <clears throat> in, in submission, uh, not to a church, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we admit, I admit, that I'm ravaged by fear. I'm just, it's so hard to be free from fear. God, I admit that. And I admit that I just, I just want to alleviate. I want to I wanna fight. I want to flee. I want to follow. I just want to get back to normal. And Father, I thank you for this moment in world history. And I thank you that you're clarifying in the, in the hearts of your people who their Lord is. And so we together declare that Jesus is Lord, that we are not first Canadians, we're first Christians. And we have submitted ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that will make us better citizens, better servants, because we've declared our allegiance to a higher authority that frees us up to do what's best, even in the midst of being hated. Oh, Father, bring your kingdom to earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us declare and demonstrate the love of God to a lost and dying world. Commission us now by your spirit. Liberate us from our fear that we might be followers of Jesus. Oh, 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 oh,